Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Welcome to Golf Talk Live with your host, Ted Odorico. Join Ted each week as he speaks with some of the best in golf. This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and as always, we've got a great show for you this evening. We're going to be starting things off here in just a moment with an interesting discussion on Coach's Corner, and I'll introduce uh, tonight's panel. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to be joined by two very special guests, uh, Dylan Horowitz, who is the co-founder and director of Kavua Golf, and uh, Peak Performance Coach Dr. Rick Sessinghaus, who will be joining me a little bit later on in the broadcast. I hope you stick around. Um, all right, let me introduce uh, the uh, Coach's Corner panel, and we'll bring them out and get into this evening's discussion. Uh, first up, of course, is Sue Weger. She is a number one best-selling international author, motivational speaker, and peak performance coach. Uh, she's been teaching as an LPJ Class A golf professional for over 24 years and is the owner of Weger Consulting. Uh, her book, Golf, The Last Six Inches, uh, Change Your Brain, is available at Amazon.com. Also on the show is Jim Endicott. He's... Uh, been teaching this great game now for uh, 38 years. He's a former Golf Digest School's general manager and a seven-time PGA Award winner, including the 2022 North Florida PGA Section Patriot Award and two North Florida PGA Youth Development Awards. He's currently the director of instruction at the Royal St. Cloud Golf Links in Florida, and he's also a Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor and contributor. Uh, so please welcome Jim Endicott and Sue Weger to the show. Hi, guys. How you doing? Doing great, Ted. Thanks so much for being on, or allowing me to be on, and uh, looking forward to the evening with you, Sue. All right. Well, I appreciate both of you uh, joining me this evening, and uh, always, uh, always try to make it an interesting show. So, we're going to talk on the on the panel tonight. We're going to talk um, really two components. We're going to start with uh, one first, and then jump into the next one a little bit later on in the discussion. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about uh, junior golf and also a little bit about collegiate golf. Uh, junior, obviously, I'm referring to uh, some younger players. And uh, collegiate, of course, uh, uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of the team format and so forth. So um, I'm going to do, and I, I noticed that Sue just ended up dropping off, so I'll, I'll give her a second to, to come back. So, Jim, I'm going to start with you. So we're going to talk about uh, first junior golfers. So. Give me your thoughts on how you would teach or how you would approach teaching a junior golfer. And, you know, we'll keep it a little bit simple and, and sort of keep it up, let's say, you know, in the seven age range of, say, seven and over, um, just to make it simple, because obviously it's a whole different thing when you start getting into, uh, you know, uh, younger uh, kids and stuff. But so let's say you're, you're six or seven year old, you're starting it up. How do you approach teaching that junior golfer? 
Well, Ted, thanks again for uh, having me on. Uh, six, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, uh, at this age, their attention span is uh, pretty short. Uh, so it's very important to mix up the lesson uh, with different activities. Uh, I would say you, you would spend a lot of time really playing games and, and more so showing them kind of imitate me in how I'm going to make a swing and, and let them try to model what you're doing versus get into technical uh, discussions of the grip, uh, stance, etc. They do a lot better with, uh, with seeing what you're doing and then trying to imitate it. But then that only goes for maybe five or ten minutes, and then we need to break it up. Uh, give an example of a young lady I uh, was given lessons to last week. She's seven years old, and uh, we would hit balls for five, six, seven minutes, and then uh, we'd take her and give her a hula hoop, and then she would play and have some fun with the hula hoop, and then we'd come back, hit a few balls, then we'd kick a soccer ball back and forth, and then we'd move on to short game, and, and we'd learn a little bit about how to hit a chip shot, and then uh, we'd play a game. Uh, see if we could hit a shot into a big square on the green or something of that nature. So it's very important to keep it fun. Uh, and and it, like I said, they do a lot better with modeling at that age. As you progress in the age bracket, say 9 to 12, now we could start uh, talking a little bit more about mechanics. But again, the attention span can wane. And uh, so mixing in games... Uh, maybe the games are after we've learned a little bit, and then uh, we have maybe a little competition. Uh, I like to, uh, being a right-handed golfer, and, and I'll do a competition where they play against me, and, and I'll, uh, I'll hit the shots left-handed and give them a chance to have successes. Uh, so between ages, say, 6 to 12, uh, a lot of uh, imitation, the older ones, uh, Getting into the eight, uh, nine to twelve, we can show them a little more about the mechanics, and then as we progress from there, uh, getting into the teens, uh, now we can really kind of start honing in on the skills and and uh, spending more time on uh, what the mechanics would look like. Uh, get a little bit away from the modeling and a little bit more into here's how we hold it, here's how we stand to it, uh, and refining a little bit about letting them understand that if they hit a, an indifferent shot, what piece of their lesson do they have to concentrate on? What drill can they do? And we really start introducing drills as we get into the teens uh, with them. So uh, it's a progression from fun games to a little bit of a blend to more mechanics as we get older. Yeah, and, and, and I, I guess – you know, if I, if I hear you correctly, you want to keep it at the very early age. Um, again, that sort of six to nine or six to eight range is it's almost more from approach of mimicking what I'm doing, kind of giving you an idea of here's what it looks like, and you do your best to sort of emulate it. You're not really getting into a lot of instruction at that point because, it, again, it can get a little bit too much and they get distracted very easily. And then also I, I noticed that you like to also kind of interject something outside of golf uh, in there to keep their interest peaked. So in other words, not so heavy on golf, 
Uh, you mentioned about sort of kicking a soccer ball, uh, you know, maybe back and forth. So, uh, again, you're introducing other things, other stimuli, if you will, to, to sort of keep their interest going as opposed to just sort of coming in and, and getting a little bit too advanced with them at that earlier age. Is that Did I hear you correctly when you said that? Absolutely. Uh, we, we like to introduce different activities, different uh, range of motion, uh, and, and really kind of build coordination, if you will, and then uh, that coordination can then uh, translate into how to hit a golf ball. Uh, all activities in athletics uh, can influence and assist uh, people with how to hit a golf ball. And so, yes, yeah, throwing a ball, kicking a ball, uh, we even do some things where uh, in our camps uh, we'll have relay races and, and we'll kind of set up a little uh, kind of a simulated slalom course, if you will, uh, where they have to kind of have a little bit of agility. Uh, so different kinds of, of motion and, and activities uh, help their golf, golf game. And uh, even, even as they get older, it's, it's good to have, have that. Uh, the key there. And I would say between, say, the 6 to 12, uh, very, very, very important to keep it fun. Uh, in fact, uh, I like to take the approach that when we're in the lesson and if we're kind of getting towards the end and we're not there yet, but they're having a blast, I tell the parent, go ahead and take them home now. And the idea there is if they're having a lot of fun, and we send them home. What they remember is the fun, and they it drives right. them to want to come back uh, and, and keep their interest in it. Yeah, sort of uh, end, end on a high note is probably another way to put it as well. Um, Sue, I'm just going to bring you a little bit up to, to speed on because on, uh, I know that you, you've dropped off there for a second or two. Um, tonight we're going to talk about junior golf uh, first off, and then we're going <laughs> to sort of morph into a little bit of collegiate golf. So we're going to stick first uh, for a little bit longer on uh, junior golfers, and uh, Jim very eloquently sort of laid out, um, you know, his approach on um, sort of that junior golfer first from sort of the six to eight age range, and then from nine to twelve, and how he would sort of differentiate uh, the two groups. Um, and what I want to talk to you or have you um, sort of chime in on here is you're now sort of taking it, you're picking up from where sort of he left off at that, uh, you know, teenage age. And now you've got a, a youngster that's come to you that really wants to get more involved. So you're talking obviously with the parents at this point, a little bit more, they've expressed an interest, the child that wants to become a, a junior golfer and maybe play more competitive. Um, what's the conversation like? And then where do you sort of take it from there? You've, you've, starting to work into some of the, the fundamentals, the basics of golf at this stage, um, how do you propel it from here to get them to be more active and more involved in tournament play? Uh, at what point do you introduce them to tournament play? And where do you sort of uh, pick up the baton, if you will, when they start to get to that, that uh, teenage uh, age and they've maybe had some introduction before? Yeah, I think the first thing is, is like, you know, you um – like Jim says, you want to make it fun to begin with, and then um, then do a little bit of a testing in their skill levels, which means okay, um, like I always give them like putting. I give them fun putting drills. I give them fun short game drills. Um, 
and then we'll kind of proceed from there um, and kind of see, test them out a little bit, figuring out kind of where's their strengths, where's their weaknesses, um, and then kind of go from there. And then, um, you know, kind of talk to them about, okay, you know, what's your – you know, what's your individual goals? You know, do they really want to play junior golf? Um, do they want to play in tournaments? You know, sit down and talk to them a little bit about that. Um, and then just, you know, ask them, uh, you know, what are you, what are you looking for to do with your junior career? Um, that's one of the questions I always ask a lot of my juniors and like, you know, what do you, what do you want to accomplish, you know, out of, right. um, you know, out of, out of certain things. So, um, you know, I used to, I, when I was in Scottsdale, I coached a very young lady and she's uh, a world champion and she is, uh, you know, she was just fun to work with. And it was just like, um, and she's still, you know, still playing. And um, it's, it's just a lot of fun to, you know, watch the kids do what they want to be doing rather than, you know, what they're forced to be doing. And I think that's right. the that's the main key. That's the main key is like you know we want you to enjoy it. We don't want you to feel like you have to do something. But um, yeah, I think that's you know that's what I would say to um, you know most even like most parents. I would ask them you know why where do you where do you see your junior going um, with this? Um, and you know most parents will will say you know, well, I want them to be successful. And I'm like, yes, we want them to be successful, but we also want them, we also want them to have some fun too. So, I mean, I think that's kind of where I would take it. Let me ask you when it comes to, uh, again, I want to follow up with you a little bit, Sue, on this, um, because I think it's important you, you raise the issue about that conversation with the parents um, and mm-hmm. sort of gathering an idea of, of what they would like to see and obviously you're going to do an assessment on the child and, and gather information as to what they want um, from their experience. When do you decide how much to, and, and I hate to use the word push because I know that's not a, a good word to, to use in this case, but when, you, when you've identified this junior golfer as being somebody that certainly has a lot of potential and has the interest and the drive to pursue it, how do you know when, okay, I can push this one a little bit more to really get them to hone in on what needs to happen for them to get to that next level, and when do you know that, okay, I've got to put on the brakes a little bit here? What's the sort of the thought process? Yeah, I think that, I think the first thing, you, you know, you need to do is, you know, ask the, ask the junior, you know, what, what do you want to do? You know, ask them, it's like, do you want to, do you want to, you know, you want to move up to the next level? Um, do you want to, or uh, or not? Because it's like some juniors don't want don't want the pressure. <laughs> um, some some juniors do want the pressure. So I think that um, I think there's a fine line between that, and I think it's important to you know um, talk back and forth with the junior about you know what what their goals are, um, and find out kind of what they want, and what they don't want because there's always a fine line of what, you know, um, what they do want and what they don't want. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's like competition. Do you, you have to ask the junior, do you want to play in competition? Because that's one of the questions um, that, that, you know, comes up. And 
some juniors would say, yes, I'm in, I'm in, I want to be there, and some juniors are a little, you know, like, well, I'm not really sure yet type of thing. So, um, you know, I think it's just understanding who your junior is and, um, you know, being nice to that person first and foremost um, and, you know, set some goals to begin with and then see where it goes from there. And I think also, too, um, when they're setting goals, if you see that they're easily reaching those goals um, with really yeah. not a lot of effort anymore, then it's time to maybe increase it a little bit more um, and obviously not so much that they become overwhelmed. But you want to – I would sense – and, Jim, uh, I'm going to get you to chime on this in a second. But uh, I think, as I was sort of alluding to, there, there's a point in time – when you start to recognize that what you're doing is becoming sort of second nature to them and for them to improve, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of like when you go to the gym, you know, there comes a point in time you kind of plateau. Um, so, so Jim, it, when, when you start to see that as the coach happening, uh, what do you do then um, to, to ensure that they're always in a perpetual um, forward motion, if you will, in, in their uh, understanding of the game and development of the game, what do you typically try to do um, once you see that they're kind of plateauing a bit? Well, when, uh, when I see them plateauing, I think that's where you come in, as, as Sue was talking about, and you have to uh, inquire and ask questions of the player and, and kind of get into their, their head and, and understand what are they thinking. Uh, I had a, a junior that uh, wanted to play college golf, and, and he really kind of plateaued as a, as a junior in high school. And as I as I dove into his head, I said, "What are you thinking about as you go about this shot?" And and I listened to what he had to say, and it was uh, it was amazing how many different thoughts he had going on, from mechanics to target awareness to decision on how to play the shot. Uh, he just had this, this litany of, of a list of things he was doing. And what was happening is he was actually kind of paralyzing himself in, uh, in what he was doing. And, and that's what caused the plateau. So I think you have to really dive into the player and find out and understand what are they thinking about? Because oftentimes it's not so much that their mechanics have, have uh, plateaued. It's, it's how they're playing the game that has plateaued. So we have to learn what, what are they thinking as they make their shots and, and, and how are they approaching that. And sometimes that approach is what's causing the issue with the mechanics. Mm-hmm. Well said. Um, let me ask, uh, ask you another question, uh, Jim, and then Sue, I'll come back to you. Um, and, and I'm not looking, when I'm asking this question, I'm not really looking for necessarily a specific number. But as when you get to that point, you're, you're you know, that junior's uh, coach on a regular basis, so you're working together with, uh, you know, that individual. Do you sit down and, and, and look at, what potential tournaments are out there 
and formulate a plan to say, okay, this is how many tournaments based on what we're seeing, what you're working on, how you've developed. This is what I recommend the number of tournaments that you get into this season um, to avoid, obviously, burnout, but obviously to make sure that you're getting enough, again, enough play to sort of stimulate um, moving forward. So what are your what are your thoughts on that as far as how do you decide with your junior how many tournaments that he or she should play that season? Well, that's a, that's, that's a delicate situation. Um, most uh, parents, I'll come back to them, uh, want their, their player to play in as many tournaments as possible. And uh, that really can be uh, a detriment to the player because they can't stay sharp. Uh, there has to be a balance between the amount of play in, in tournaments, the amount of practice, and the amount of play just simply on the golf course. And, and that's a that's a a challenging thing to work with the player to understand them. I had a player; he just finished his uh, career in college golf, and he happened to be one that spent a little bit of time on the range in the short game area and a lot of time on the golf course. Flip that; I had another player who spent a lot of time on the range and little time on the golf course. So we had to kind of. <laughs> figure out what's the right balance for, for either player. And uh, that, that really comes down to the personality of the player. I like to right. have some limitations to the amount of play uh, versus uh, practice. And uh, I think you have to make sure that they're not playing too much. Right. Is it also important to, um, just to pick up where, where Jim left off, is sometimes not so much um, the quantity of tournaments, but the quality of tournaments. In other words, is it more important, do you think, as the coach, to ensure that your student is getting into the right tournaments that are going to, again, help them grow and give them the, the most benefit and, feet and you know, certainly uh, opportunities? Because, I mean, there's so many tournaments out there nowadays that for juniors to play in, um, you've got to kind of pick and yeah. choose. And, you know, obviously some are, some uh, programs are, are better run than others, but so is that part of the conversation as well as, okay, let's say there's 30 events potentially they can play with, uh, play in, um, and maybe you've got to pick 15 or, or 12 or whatever the number is. Is it then become more of, okay, let's really look at these events. Um, you know, there's distance to consider, traveling, that sort of thing. You know, are you going to be tired from event to event type of thing because you don't have enough time to rest? Walk us through that just a little bit, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I think you have to um, look at the schedule of events and find out kind of what they have, um, what they have planned. And, where, and like you just said, you know, with drive time, that's really important um, because, you know, you it's – I know there's a lot of juniors out there that want to go to every tournament, and that's kind of difficult to do at times because of the scheduling. Um, but I think it's um, important to balance balance out the tournament the tournament schedule with the practice time as well, because you you don't want to have just the junior play all the time. You want them to practice as well. So I think you have to break it up, and you just kind of have to look at the schedule of tournaments um, and figure it out from there. And you know, and then you talk to the parents and, and this. And they ask them, you know, how many tournaments would you like 
your junior to play in because that's another another issue because I know there's you know with scheduling and stuff parents are um, tough to get off work and um, schedule it and stuff like that so um, I think it's important that you just have a good open communication with um, your entire team with the parent and the junior and and kind of go from there I I couldn't agree more again it all yep go ahead if I could, if I could jump in there and and and, and mention something, uh, kind of on the choosing of tournaments, uh, I sat at a panel discussion at the PGA show a couple of years ago, and they had six Division One coaches, and some very, very, very good programs were represented. They had three women's programs represented and three men's programs, uh, and the question came up was, what tournaments would you have us as coaches send the players to play in so that one of you six on this panel would uh, would find them? And it was very interesting. The coach from the University of Florida says, I got this one. And he stands up and he says, number one, they need to play on a tour that posts on Junior Golf Scoreboard. And he said, number two, they need to play on a tour that they believe they can win. And he sat down. And that was the end of his discussion. And the other five coaches, in their own way, basically said, ditto. Right. The, 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 the key was, on junior golf scoreboard, any coach can look at that and find the players that are playing well. And if you're out there shooting 68, they're going to find you. And then on top of that, if you're winning, coaches want you. So there's a balance there. Uh, You know, there there are certain programs that only look at the the, uh, AJGAs and that sort of thing. Um, But there are opportunities elsewhere as long as you meet those criteria. And and that's a great point that you raised. Uh, I think – really it becomes um, a balancing act. Uh, let me just give you an example. I mean, I, and I'm going to recuse myself a little bit in this because I, I, I don't teach junior golfers, so I'm not certainly by any stretch of the means uh, an expert in this. But I would think from a, from a coaching standpoint as in, in general, I think what I would probably do is initially I would probably – until they get a little bit of experience under their belt, I don't think I would be as concerned with those two points that you that these other gentlemen raised, um, um, only because really they haven't got a lot of experience. I think as they become a more experienced golfer and are, are certainly more serious, then those I think would, would come into um, would come into play a little bit more. I, I don't know. I'm not saying this for certain, but I think. Uh, again, it depends on what level they're at. Obviously, as they become more accomplished and more uh, developed in their skill, they're going to want that, that notice to sort of be put out there and say, hey, here I am. But I think initially to start out with, I don't think that that's as high of a priority. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, again, I don't teach junior golf, but I would think it's not as high of a priority uh, in the earlier stages uh, of their development until they get to a point where they're really starting to, you know, hone their skills and, and showing a little bit. But um, very interesting. Um, any final thoughts either one of you have, Sue? I'm going to let you go just uh, to go back. And then, Jim, if you have any final thoughts on junior golf 
uh, before we we skip back. And I'm not sure um, uh, I'm not sure if it's Jim or, or Sue, but one of you I, I'm assuming is traveling and we're getting a lot of back uh, background noise. So if you wouldn't mind uh, if you can just mute um, while the other one's talking. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I think Sue. it's important to. Yeah, I think it's just important to, um, you know, have great communication with the parent and the junior and find out what their goals are, find out, you know, what 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 their overall, uh, you know, end result wants to be. Maybe they don't want to play in tournaments. Maybe they just want to play in, you know, city tournaments or junior golf tournaments that are, you know, that are local. And I think that's that's the important thing is you want to make sure that, you know, the junior is going to be happy um, with what they're doing. And I think that's the most important part, too, is is just, you know, do they want to, are they enjoying themselves while they're playing? Because that's what you want. You want a positive experience with junior golf. And that's what I would say, um, you know, for any juniors. Like, you want them to have fun. You want them to be successful. Uh, you want them to participate as best as they can. Um, and kind of go from there. Yeah, and that's a again, that's a great point as well. I know, uh, you know, we've interviewed or I've interviewed and, and uh, Cindy as well on the Women of Golf. We've interviewed a number from the Epson Tour and even some LPGA players over the years. And it's interesting that you mm-hmm. bring that up about really having fun because a lot of them, even at that level, even though they're, you know, playing at a much uh, higher professional level, there comes a point in time if they're not having fun any longer, they're not enjoying it. And obviously it's, it's a lot of work um, and they recognize that, but when they're no longer having fun, then you start to hear yeah. things, you know what, do I really want to do this anymore? Do I want to, you know, maybe look at something else. That's right. And it isn't until yeah. they turn that around and recognize that it's not all grind, 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 grind. You've got to enjoy uh, yourself while you're out there. Otherwise it becomes um, uh, a very daunting uh, you know, task, if you will, and it's just not enjoyable or not fun, and it really uh, can become yeah. a little bit overwhelming, and it starts to play with your head. Jim, any final thoughts on junior golf, and then we're going to switch over to collegiate. Yes, uh, if I if I went on the uh, on the tournament uh, idea as well, and this kind of segues into moving on to collegiate golf. Uh, we did a study not long ago. Of course, you know I run a junior tour, and uh, we have players in that tour that uh, at 11 to 14 years of age are going to shoot 100 and getting an exposure to the game. And uh, even at 15 to 18, we'll have players that are in a 90, 95 range, and they're getting exposure to tournaments and progressing, just as you had said. But an interesting study we did in terms of preparing for college golf, because a lot of players think, gosh, i got to be out there and i got to be shooting – uh, in the 60s to play college golf. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth. At certain levels, yes. But we found that there were 91 four-year schools where the number three player on the men's side, the number three player had a scoring average of 85 or higher. 91 programs, four-year schools. Hmm. And on the, on the girls' side, there were 320 where their scoring average was 85 or higher as the number three player on the team. So those out there that want to play college golf, there's a place to play if, you're, if, if your goal is to play college golf and get an education. 
Yeah, and that's a that's a really good point that you raise, um, Jim. Because uh, again, I think a, a lot of even a lot of parents don't fully appreciate or understand um, that very point that you brought up. I mean, they're thinking their kids got to be the next, um, you know, um, top junior player to to have a chance. And there are a lot of programs. Certainly, you know, if you're looking to play in a Division One. Uh, team, you know, obviously it, it's going to be very competitive and quality of play. Uh, but there's Division Two and 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 beyond and three as well that uh, and and you know whatever other programs may be available um, that they can still get in and get a great education and still play some tournament golf and and it can be challenging for them. Um, so you have to look at all aspects, and I think that's a great point. Jim, Jim I'm going to come back to you real quick, and then Sue, I'm going to uh, come to you with with a question as well. Um, so. Now that we're morphing into a collegiate player or into that realm, if you will, um, as a coach, Jim, what are you looking, what skills are you looking for in a collegiate player? What, what is sort of your checklist? Well, certainly they, they need to know how to, how to score. Um, and and more, more importantly, they need to be able to, uh, they need to be willing to listen. They need to be willing to try. Uh, and be willing to try new things and be open to new ideas. Uh, and then from the uh, attitude perspective, uh, they need to be able to let go when it doesn't quite work for them. And they need to, uh, regardless of how they're performing, they need to be trying on each and every shot, going through their process and staying in their process rather than focusing on what's my score, what's my score, what's my score. When we do that, our process wanes and our skills wane. And if we can stay in the process, the scores and the results will happen. I've told players when they have a coach coming to watch them, I said, you know, they want to know that you can play. They want to know that you can score. They already know that when they came to see you. They want to see you perform on the golf course, and if you're struggling that day and you hold it together and you try throughout it and you keep a good attitude, they want you. And so it's, it's a lot about are you coachable, are you willing to do what the coach asks you to do and do your level best to perform what they've asked you to do. Yeah, there's a, you know, there's obviously a lot of factors um, you know, that coaches are looking at, um, you know, obviously score is, is certainly one and, and that's uh, advantageous, but attitude, as you mentioned, uh, you know, I've, I've had the pleasure of interviewing a few uh, collegiate coaches along the way, both on the men's and women's side of things. And it was amazing how um, many of them had come up with this analogy that, you know, even though they had a player on their team that was, a, you know, could score and really play, they had a bad attitude and uh, it affected the rest of the team. And, uh, you know, sometimes you get those personalities in there that they're, uh, you know, a much more aggressive personality and it doesn't bode well for, for the rest of the team. Um, sometimes it can work to an advantage. Again, it depends on their, their individual attitude. I think also too, um, and, and, the reason I say it is I mentioned a minute ago, you know, we, we interview a lot of the, uh, the Epson Tour players, and one of the more common, I guess, things that I've heard them say, these young ladies particularly say, is that one of the biggest shocks that they have when they get out on, on 
pro, you know, in the pro tour is that they no longer have somebody, you know, planning everything for them. They've now got to do it themselves. So there has to be a certain amount of, uh, I guess, self-discipline, Sue, that a player that that level, now a collegiate player, has to start to develop because, you know, yes, the, the program is going to look after a lot of the functions for them, but they've got to start learning that skill if they want to move past collegiate um, at a later point. Uh, what are your thoughts here? And then also uh, your question is, is how do you teach a golf to a collegiate player as opposed to a junior? What, what level now are we starting to work at? And how does your, your coaching or your teaching sort of morph into a much higher level of game for a collegiate player? So just follow up on what I first said, and then you can talk about uh, teaching that collegiate player. Yeah, I think the first thing in regards to collegiate players is, you know, it's the, like you said, it's the overall person. And, um, you know, what I, when I would teach collegiate um, golfers, the first thing I, you know, ask them is, like, do you, do, you, do you enjoy the game, number one? And hopefully they'll say, yes, you know, I, I love the game. Um, this is what I want to do with it, you know, moving forward. Um, and I think that's the, one thing is, is like if they don't enjoy the game, that's what shows up on the golf course too, you know, because their attitude changes and something, something else, you know, maybe they missed a putt or if they missed a chip or they missed a sand bunker shot or something like that. Um, something gets affected by that um, in their mood, in their mood or, you know, their, their attitude. So I think that that's one of the um, most important things is like, you know, do you enjoy the game? That's the first thing. It's like, are you here because you love the game or are you here because you feel like you have to play type of thing? So um, that's one of the things that I always ask, um, um, you know, my players when I, when we, when we have people come up and ask me about a collegiate player and um, we'll ask them, you know, do you enjoy the game? What do you enjoy about it? Um, the other thing I would say is um, I think it's as far as like, you know, their mental attitude in regards to what, um, when they're practicing, um, what are they, what are they looking for? Are they, you know, are they trying to improve certain things? Are they trying to, um, you know, look at um, different scoring opportunities? Um, as we all say, you know, 80-20 rule, which means, you know, 65% of your, your score is is short game, so I think that's one of the things is, is how do you break it how, how do they break down the practices that kind of thing um, that's what I would say in regards to um you know talking to the difference between the collegiate player versus the junior golfer what about two though um just to follow up with you if you've got again because now you're getting at a little bit different level. They're still, you're still kind of holding their hand a few a little bit because they're not at the pro level yet where they're kind of on their own. Um, but you, you want them to start to learn to think for themselves and not just, I mean, obviously they're going to rely on, on you as the coach and, and obviously as the program for certain things. But right. at, at this point, you're wanting them to really develop the skill, being able to uh, handle their own business while they're out in the golf course. They're certainly going to look for you, uh, to you for guidance and, and direction. Um, along the, the program, but at the same time, you're wanting them to develop their own internal skills so that they can, um, you know, mm-hmm. I equate it to problem solving or what have you, but they need to be able to figure things out on their own a little bit too. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, is that uh, is that something that uh, that is important as well? Do you think? Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest um, challenges for most golfers is when they're on the golf course, and how do, how do they you know how do they uh, relate to good shots versus how do they relate to bad shots? And I think that's one of the things you have to teach people. You have to teach people it's like, well, how do you respond to the not so good shots versus the great shots? Um, and you know, understand and help them understand. Okay, how 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 are you reacting to the not so good shots? You know, is is that reaction, um, is that reaction carrying over into the next shot? Because you don't want to have that happen. Um, that's what I teach a lot of my players is you have to learn to let it go. And one shot, of, you know, as we always say with Lynn and Pia, one shot at a time, one shot at a time. So. I think that's one of the one of the biggest issues with a lot of players is sometimes they don't know how to handle the frustration that comes up with the game sometimes um, in in that sense, and I think that's why um, you know some people are, some people enjoy it and some people don't enjoy it. Um, I, I think it just depends on how you react to the situation at hand, um, whether or not it's positive or negative, and I think that's one of the the things that you have to teach. You have to teach all players, no matter if it's like a junior golfer or a collegiate golfer or even a professional golfer. Sometimes professional golfers get a little bit upset. <laughs> yeah, I think we've seen that over the years. You know, it's interesting that you say that. Well, Will said, um, again, the reason why I bring this up is because a lot of times, you know, again, speaking to some of the professionals, it's amazing the differences in how they approach things. I mean, some are, are very disciplined. Some, you know, can pick up and, and, you know, carry on without any uh, difficulty in transition. And others are kind of stymied. They're almost like they're in a loop because they don't have, yeah. you know, that person is no longer there in their ear. You know, they may be following them and they may occasionally communicate back and forth. And, you know, as a coach to, to a former, uh, you know, a player on their team, um, and, and many of them do stay in touch, of course. Um, I'm not trying to suggest they don't. But, you know, now they're thinking for themselves. And I, I think that's why yeah. I wanted to ask that, you know, that it's, there comes a point in time where they've got to start really um, thinking for themselves, both the good and bad, and need to be able to adapt, um, in some cases, fairly quickly, um, because they don't have that team yeah. and they don't have that coach to fall back on uh, when they're out there by themselves. Um, Jim, just to, again, play off that a little bit, you know, we're, we're now dealing with a, a team format, even though golf has always been um, understood as an individual sport in many ways it is. Um, but when you're playing in a case of a collegiate team, um, as a coach, do you pivot, do you continue to teach as though you're teaching to the individuals of that team, or are you pivoting now um, where you're teaching to the team? How does that coaching style change or uh, or does it? And maybe just give us some thoughts here on, on what you're going to do now as a coach of a team as opposed to an individual player. Well, uh, the the thing the players need to understand in the in the team aspect is uh, when they're playing by themselves, if they have a poor score, that can affect where they are individually. Uh, and that's that's true even in the team aspect of of the tournaments because they, they do score individually as well. However, 
they're a part of a number of scores for the team. And so they have to understand that even if their score is maybe not what their expectation is, it needs to be good enough to help the team. And so we talk about uh, not just worrying about uh, their individual score, but how their score is going to impact the overall score of the team. And then you support your players. When you finish, if you're uh, early out, you go back and and you're going to support your players. Uh, I know at the high school level, uh, they can they can help uh, with uh, the process for that player. Um, it's not just limited to the coach. The player can help. Uh, so they have to understand that it's not just themselves that their score is impacting, but that their score is involved with other people as well in the in the team collectively. Yeah, and and you know it, again, it's a whole different kettle of fish, as they say, when you're dealing with the team format as opposed to um, individual. We've seen that here recently with both the Solheim and, of course, the the Ryder Cup. You know, now individual personalities really kind of get left at the door, uh, or certainly should be. Now that doesn't mean that you don't bring uh, certain things to the table as an individual, but at the same time, you're now playing for a greater purpose than just yourself, or at least you should be. Um, and I have to admit, I think that the lady, uh, not, not to get into, inject into a really um, controversial thing here, um, but I'll be quite honest, I think they do a much better job at the Solheim Cup than they do at the Ryder Cup, and certainly if I base it on this year. Um, I think the ladies are much more organized and, and, and less uh, ego in, at the door, but um, that's just a personal thought, but we won't go down that path. So, Sue, um, you know, now that your team is actively playing in their season, you're, you're, out, you're, you know, you're going to tournaments and things like that. Um, as a coach, you're always going to be helping them along the way, but now it's for them. It's, it's their turn to shine. So what is your role um, become when you're at the tournaments? What is it, does it pivot from, from what you typically would do um, what is your role as their coach now that you're at the events? Yeah, I think the the biggest role going from coach to advisor, and I think that's where you, you know, because you want to help your team out um, throughout the tournament um, as best you can. But I think the biggest issue is, uh, you know, you you want to be the biggest supporter of your own team and, you know, how you – how you approach that is, you know, you, like I said, you want to support everybody. And if somebody's having a tough day, you want to make sure that you, you know, you're, you're there for them. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest, <clears throat> um, biggest issues with a lot of the coaches sometimes that are out there, you know, you, you want to support them as an individual first and as a golfer second. And I think sometimes, um, you know, coaches are um, have a tendency to, you know, treat them more like golfers rather than individuals. And I think if when somebody's having a, a tough day on the golf course, you want to support them as an individual first and second as a golfer. And then you just give them advice in regards to, you know, how to help them through it um, um, in, you know, whatever it may be. Maybe it's um, maybe they're having a, a hard time putting for that day. Maybe they're having a hard time with the short game. 
um, you know, who knows, but you want to just, you know, support them as best you can. And I think that's one of the, the um, biggest issues with a lot of the coaches is like, you know, you want to support them as an individual first and as a golfer second. And that's just kind of who I am as a coach. Again, great words um, of, of wisdom there. You, you definitely have to look at them as an individual because everybody's different. I mean, everybody's personality yeah. is different. Um, you're going to have some students that are going to be um, certainly much more assertive. Some are going to maybe have a more conservative style of play. Um, so you have mm-hmm. to sort of find the strengths in each and, and obviously um, work at some of the, the struggles that they may be having, and it could be putting that day, as you said. Uh, Jim, this brings up an interesting uh, question for you as we get ready to, to wrap up our discussion. Um, walk us through a little bit of the post-round or post-tournament uh, discussions, and what are you? What's your next step? You've, uh, you're evaluating, obviously, as as the uh, tournament is going uh, on. You're playing, uh, you know, uh, another team, and you're noticing, you know, you're maybe jotting notes down. You're making mental notes and, as well as written notes. What's been going on uh, throughout that tournament? Um, so, what's your next step as their coach? Do you have a, a group discussion, you know, on the way home, or what have you, or when you get back home? Uh, and, and your next practice session, are you having a conversation? Okay, here, I've taken a look. Here's what happened through the event. Here's some of the um, – and, and, again, are you talking to them as a team and trying to focus on the areas that, that could be improved upon while at the same time uh, reinforcing the positives as well? I like to, uh, I like to focus on the positive. What, what did we do well that day? Uh, I don't like them to think about – necessarily what went wrong uh, the day of the event, meaning if we're in a multi-day event, I want them to reflect on this is what I was positive with. This is how I was good today. And then in the morning, the next day, we may think about, okay, yesterday I didn't put it as well. What am I going to do to prepare myself on the, on the practice screen for the greens that day? My distance was off yesterday. I'm going to spend a few extra minutes working on my distance control. But I like them to leave the golf course reflecting on what went well that day. And then the next day is when we focus in on what are we going to do today? How are we going to maybe adjust our, our uh, strategy today? I was aggressive yesterday. Today I'm going to be a bit more conservative on hole number seven and, and – 12, uh, where I got in a little bit of trouble being aggressive yesterday. I'm going to be conservative today. So I like to end the day on a positive note. What did we do well? And then rechannel the next day on what am I going to do today with my strategy and my mechanics or my, uh, what maybe wasn't working as well the day before. I think that's a I think that's a great analogy and, and I, I again I agree 100 percent because you, you don't want to uh, certainly after an event um, or even after if it's a multi-day event after the you know the first day you don't want to start be dwelling on um, areas that necessarily um, need to be focused on at some point. You want to end on a positive note. You want them to feel upbeat and cur- discour- or not discouraged, rather, but upbeat and wanting to get out there and, you know, into that next day 
uh, with some positive reinforcement. And then obviously maybe when the event is, is completely done, then you can revisit, um, you know, some of those other areas that, that you'd like to touch on. Um, but I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think it's, it's important. And, and Sue, I'm going to give you this, this final question for, for you to answer. Um, as you coach your, your team, um, you know, it's their final season, they're, they're moving on, they're graduating, and, uh, you know, we'll deal with the ones that are they're going to that next level that want to, um, you know, take it up a notch and, and compete on a professional level. What's that final conversation you're going to have with, with your team um, as they prepare to move to the next stage? Um, just give us some, some, some final thoughts that you might share with them. Well, the first thing I would say to them is, you know, congratulations on a, you know, wonderful season. Um, you know, there's a lot of positives that we did um, throughout the year, for example, you know. Um, and I think the, the, the one thing that I would ask each of them, I would ask them, I was like, what did you learn about yourself this year? Um, what was, you know, what was good about, um, what was good about the season for you, you know, um, because I think that's one of the things that I, you know, as a person and as a coach, I want them to, you know, leave leave the the golf game in a very positive note and and you know um, look into like okay, what did you what did you love about the season? For example, that's that's the kind of the questions I would ask them, um, you know. Um, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, what did you love about the team? What did you love about the coach? What did you love about the season? You know, pull out the positives um, before they go to the next level. And that's what I would do is, you know, because they're all human beings. And I think, you know, you want them to walk away feeling successful. You want to have, have them walk away feeling positive, um, you know, and, and that's what that's what I would do. I would agree as well, and I think um, both uh, you and Jim are on the same page in that, is to really end on a positive uh, note. Um, I think the more encouraging you can be for a player, they're gonna they're they're gonna. I think really it boils down to this: is you want them to deal appropriately with challenges and difficulties that they have. Um, you don't want them to pretend that they don't happen because that's not realistic. But you don't want to certainly focus and dwell on it because it, what's happened is, is in the past. You want them, you know, to, to be thinking about the now and prepare for the future. And um, you don't want them, you know, dragging a bunch of, uh, you know, baggage into their next stage of life. So I think it's important for, you know, for you uh, as the coach to really reinforce those positives and uh, and get them and train them well so that when they are dealing with some of the, the struggles that they may have had, they're going to do it with with from a, a position of strength as opposed to uh, a position of defeat and 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 so on. I think that's extremely important. And and I think you can really tell when you look at the professionals and you look at how they conduct themselves and how they handle themselves out in the golf course. You know, Tiger's a great example. Tiger was very very well trained from a very early age on a handle. Now he might thump his club, you know, here and there over the years, but for the most part, even when you thought the wheels were falling off the bus, he would somehow muster up that strength and get out there and just get it done. 
And, uh, you know, Nicholas before him was the same way. They just got it done. They knew what they needed to have to do. They didn't dwell on the negatives. And you never, in the interviews, you never really heard them talk, either one of them, talk about the negatives. Annika Sorensen was another one. She didn't dwell on the negatives. They always focused on the positives. They knew the negatives were there, and they knew that there were some struggles, but they always focused on the positives, and that's why they were the champions that they were. So great discussion, guys. I appreciate that. And I really wanted to talk a little bit about those two areas, uh, something that we don't do a lot on on the show, uh, because there, believe it or not, there's a lot of parents that tune in and maybe uh, some junior golfers uh, that are thinking about making some decisions, and I want them to know that you know that here's a path that they can choose uh, if they so desire, and really what they need to be focusing on when they do, and, and discussions that they need to be having with their parents, and also with uh, a potential coach and, and what have you, or instructor. So uh, great discussion. I appreciate it. Um, as always, I'm going to give the two of you an opportunity to share with the listeners the best way to reach out to you. And um, I'll, uh, ladies first, uh, Sue, if you want to go ahead, and then Jim. Yeah, thanks, Ted. Appreciate it. And, um, and you can reach reach me. Um, my phone number is 480-392-6563, or you can look at uh, Um And, yeah, that's uh, that's where you can reach me. Thanks, Ted. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Sue, for uh, for joining us this evening on Coach's Corner. Jim, what about yourself? Best way folks want to reach out to you, how can they go about doing that? Best way to reach me would be, again, phone number is 407-460-9420 or by email at jim at indicottgolf.com. And uh, it's been great to be on with you. And, Ted, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, uh, Jim, as always, and and Sue as well uh, for doing a great job on Coach's Corner. I hope you enjoyed it. And um, I look forward to having you guys uh, join me the next time uh, here on Golf Talk Live's Coach's Corner. Have a great weekend, guys, and uh, keep doing up the great work that you guys uh, both do. Um, I appreciate it very much, and uh, thanks for, for coming on tonight. Thanks, Ted. All right, that was uh, Sue Weger and Jim Endicott joining me on the Coach's Corner panel um, as we get ready to bring on this evening's special guests. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then I'm going to introduce them and bring them on the show. The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine. Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game. Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to GolfTipsMag.com and subscribe today. All right, welcome back to Golf Talk Live. All right, I'm very excited to have uh, this evening's guests. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about both of them, and then uh, we'll bring them on the show. Uh, first up, of course, is Dylan Horowitz. He's the co-founder and director of uh, Kavua Golf. Uh, joining him is going to be Dr. Rick Sessinghouse, uh, who's a peak performance coach. I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of them. Uh, Dylan, as I mentioned, is the co-founder and director of Kavua Golf. Uh, he was also a, a, a junior uh, college golf uh, golfer who was uh, scouted by uh, Chapman University uh, right out of high school. Uh, during his time on the JV team, he was named 
uh, player of the year. As he moved up to uh, varsity, he continued to excel. Uh, he had uh, two top five finishes, one win and three top 20s uh, in his uh, varsity career. Uh, also played in uh, prestigious uh, tournaments such as the Toyota Tour Cup and the AGJA and uh, also the VCJGA. Um, also, Rick Sessinghouse, as I mentioned, is a peak performance coach. Uh, he was named top 50 golf instructor by Golf Di- Digest magazine, uh, 2021 Southern California PJ Teacher of the Year. Uh, Rick earned a doctorate in applied sports psychology and authored the book Golf, the Ultimate Mind Game. Uh, his company, Flow Code Golf Academy, helps golfers utilize a framework and strategies to go from fear to flow. And he has coached everybody from major champions, Olympians, and elite golfers of all ages. So please welcome my very special guest this evening, uh, Dylan Horowitz and Dr. Rick Sessinghouse. Thank you so much. We'll Guys, well, well, welcome to the show, uh, Dylan and Rick. How are you guys doing? Doing wonderful. Thanks. This is Rick. Doing, doing really good. This is Dylan. Perfect. Well, Rick, let me, uh, I, I'm going to say to you first, welcome back, because you've actually been on the show. It's been a few years, but you've been on the show before, yeah. uh, a number of years back, so I appreciate you uh, uh, coming back. And uh, first-timer, Dylan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem. So uh, with you, Dylan, if you don't mind, uh, as I, I mentioned in the opening uh, credits, uh, you obviously played uh, collegiate golf and, and uh, did very, very well in, in your career there. Um, and I, I found it very interesting. I just want to say, first off, um, I actually received um, um, your product, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but I want you to sort of explain a little bit about the Kavua Pro is what I'm talking about, of course. Um, how did you develop that? When did you develop it? And how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, uh, it, it was definitely a long journey. So thank you so much for the compliments about the product. It was basically developed in my junior year of high school was when the original idea came in. So me and Rick, we were working together. Uh, we still work together on, on the product, but at the time he was my swing coach. And he saw my swing. I was struggling a lot with head movement because I grew up playing hockey. And in the hockey slap shot, as a lot of other players, I would dip down a ton. So what I needed to right. do was actually have my mom hold a stick to the end of my head um, while I was hitting balls in the backyard and just kept repeating that, repeating that, repeating that because there was no other product really that I could do to help with my head movement at the time. And um, it was started off as my mom holding the stick. Then she got a little bit tired. So then I had to put it on top of a punching bag that was kind of close to my height. And then it developed into a smaller version of the punching bag. And then over about a year or so, um, I developed one that was made out of Star Wars lightsabers that I put on top of a tripod. And I made all these different things <laughs> on my entrepreneurial journey so far. And then I finally got uh, my dad involved in it. And Rick had been – I had tell, been telling Rick I'd been ve- developing different types of it for a while. And we got an engineer involved my freshman year of college. And then um, I'm now a junior, and it's been a long process of getting the product developed. But we're really happy with how it's turned out, and we really hope that people will like it. It is a very good uh, product. Rick, I, I have to ask you, um, you know, as Dylan pointed out, you obviously have, have worked uh, with, uh, uh, with Dylan uh, as, as coach and instructor, um, and you've obviously seen a lot of things that he was doing um, as his coach. But, and we'll talk about the, sort of how the, the Kavua Pro sort of falls in, in line with that. But I have to ask you, I'm assuming that you got to see some of the earlier prototypes um, and – 
I imagine you probably were scratching your head a little bit. Okay, what's he doing here, and where is he going with this? Um, did you kind of wonder what was what was in his mind? I mean, when you start bringing the lightsabers in and and that sort of thing, uh, compared to what it is today, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I thought yeah, I thought he was just you know bringing the force you know from the Star Wars. But uh, <laughs> the uh, what what I, I love about Dylan is that entrepreneurial mind. But in the moment, he was he was actually like every golfer, he was trying to get better. And through that is skill acquisition is you do repetitions. And if you have focused repetitions, and as we'll talk about later, have a, you know, intention behind your practice, he's always done a great job with that. And, and part of this was during COVID where there was times I couldn't right. see him in person and, and video is fine, but now I'm seeing him, let's say on, on a zoom or a FaceTime and he's putting a, a pool noodle by his head or he's doing these different iterations of the, the Kavua Pro and I could say okay that, that looks good or and, and but he was trying to solve a problem like we all are in golf and I think he wanted to make it as simple as possible um, and he got instant feedback which is a key part of this right is that we want the feedback and the simplicity of it is what I really liked so yes there went through some <laughs> some interesting parts and he'd ask me questions <laughs> and then he'd come back and I go wow this guy's you know, this guy's doing it, and he, he's creative with uh, the, the solution to the problem. So, yes, I, I got to see some of those early ones, but uh, sometimes you do it out of necessity, right? Somebody can't hold his head anymore. Exactly. And, and, Dylan, you might want to hold on to those if you still got them. Uh, they may end up in the Smithsonian Institute one day when uh, Kavua uh, takes off uh, uh, in the stratosphere. It, it, keep on those. They could become worth a lot of money. Um, oh, I'm just kidding aside, but – so let me let me ask you, Dylan. Let me come back to you because, you know, you've come up now with the idea. Obviously, uh, Rick's helped uh, massage it along and give you some pointers in that. How did you decide? Was it with his help, or did you decide a little bit on your own? The various different and the reason why I ask this is because I've I've been on your website obviously quite a bit, and I've uh, seen that you have a number of different um, videos where you're showing the various different applications and how it can be used. Um, how did you come up with the various? Um, I guess, opportunities to really help various parts of the game. How did you decide, okay, um, it's not going to be used for just A, it's going to be A, B, C, D, and so on and beyond. How did you come up with that uh, analogy? Is that something you guys worked on together? Yeah, it was, uh, it was funny because in the beginning, it purely was just about head movement because that was the only thing that I was struggling with at the time that was really messing with my swing. And if I'm being completely honest, I actually kind of lucked out where it was a little bit of an accident. So, so what had happened was the, one of the very first versions that I made was with this adjustable punching bag that was able to move from about, I'd say maybe 60 inches down to like 25 inches. And at the time when I was just being a backyard golfer, because it was COVID and it was my junior year and I was getting ready for trying to make a run at to now that I play college golf, but I was trying to get recruited at the time, there was this adjustable aspect to this punching bag that I really liked, how when I put it down to 20 inches, the stick was about at my hip height or so. And I had seen, I, I, it was somewhere on Instagram where I see someone um, holding a stick behind a person and he had to swing under it and that stopped him from coming over the top. So I was like, okay, this is right. kind of cool. I can right. do this. With, I can just add this as an addition to what, what was not a product by any means at the time. It was literally duct tape and a stick at the top of it. And I um, created that, that part of it, and I realized, okay, I can swing under it. So then when I thought about um, when Rick was teaching me about, like, neutral swing plane and, and things like that, I realized that really what the swing plane is is a circle. So if you can get two sticks in there, it would be even better. 
So then that mm-hmm. was when I developed the Star Wars one because the cool thing about that was that it could go out, it could go out as much as I wanted to and put it back in. So it, it, it's a little bit hard to explain over the phone, but with some pictures, it, it really right. makes sense to where I was able to make it to where it would adjust left to right, up and down, however I might have done it. And Rick really helped um, nurture me in the way of he was teaching me a lot about my swing at the time. And by me learning more about that, I was able to develop the product with my dad on if I was struggling with low point contact, then how I could maybe create our product into helping with low point contact. And it, and it really just happened naturally. Right. Yeah, and and by the way, I'm purposely not giving uh, the website out quite yet because I want people to really listen and dive into what we're talking about here, and then we're going to direct them there so they can see, obviously, some great videos and demonstrations of the various different things. So um, that's why I haven't done that yet. So, Rick, yeah, I want to come back to you and just and just pick up where, where Dylan sort of left off is, uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the different drills that you can do? He, Dylan's mentioned a couple things that and, and key areas of the swing that, he wanted to be conscious of, and obviously this allows him to uh, hone in on those a little bit better. But maybe you could, uh, again, expand a little bit some of the different applications that this Kavuo uh, 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 Pro can, can do. Sure, and, and again, it comes back to um, all golfers have struggled with something mechanical, right? And in a golf lesson, I've been coaching for 30 years, and I've seen most <laughs> everything that could go wrong in a golf swing. I think I've seen it. Right. But it went beyond just golf swing, right? It goes to chipping, it goes to putting. And I think during lessons, Dylan picked up on maybe how I used an alignment stick for the plane or for uh, uh, something for alignment or something with a putting stroke. And I think he just kind of put it in the back of his head going, wait a second, I could do this, this, and this instead of buying six, seven different products. I think he started his head, started spinning and putting it in one product. So, everything from just basic alignment, right? Fundamentals and, right. Uh, and, and putting that alignment stick down and having putting arc and, and, and just, he just went on and on and on. And, and it was funny when he, he showed me at first and we talked about, Oh, here's three or four. And then he started listing all this other stuff. I go, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. So um, yeah, I think when we look at, at training aids and there's some really good ones out there, um, they're either sure. just for one specific thing, um, and I, I think the other parts that we may get into is like just the camera mount, right? You want to put your phone on there to be able right. to see your, your, and, and video there. So there's, there's multiple ways to use it. And, um, and I, I think that's the creative side of it. And I think as golfers use it, they might find their own way to, to help them with maybe a, a, a struggling drill that they, they couldn't do on their own because they had to have somebody put a stick there or something. So that's what I'm excited about. Yeah, and, and just on a side note, um, you cannot come out, I don't care what training aid, what product you come out that doesn't have a camera mount on it because everybody's taking their pictures or videos or what have you. So, yeah, that's a, that was a good feature to have uh, put into the uh, Kavua Pro was to have a camera mount. Because, again, it's important because you want the student to be able to see um, what it is they're doing and, and get them feedback. And, Rick, I just want to follow up with you in a second. Um, you mentioned something earlier uh, about when you're not around, when you're not there with him one-on-one, um, it's important for him to be able to utilize and have that there, whether it's, you know, to uh, have it for his head movement, whether it's alignment or what have you, whatever the situation is. And you touched on a number of these things on the videos on online. Um, you can also, and correct me if I'm wrong, you can also, if there's certain things, certain drills that you want him to focus on, 
you can guide him through and say, I, I want you for the next you know, week until we see each other again. I want you to work on these two or three things. And with the Kavua Pro, here's all you need to do. Put it in this position and that position and work on these two or three, whatever it happens to be. So that's a, a great application in itself, correct? Oh, exactly. I mean, you give a golf lesson and somebody's paying attention and they're really into it and they say hit the ball better and they know the drill's working and then you ask them to go practice and train it, right? That's the way we're going to change that pattern. And if somebody doesn't right. have the same drills that we did, how can I expect that student to really get better? And unfortunately, a lot of people don't practice because they don't have a plan or as we say, they don't have an intention behind them practicing. And a lot of people just try a bunch of different things, but you're exactly right. Coaches can utilize this so well to say, I need you to do this with this stick and then 20 reps of that and then 20 reps of head motion. And now that player mm -hmm. has something to work on. That's going to, I mean, they're, they're really going to get excited about now practicing because now they have a Yeah. And, and uh, again, I like the fact that you, you emphasize practicing with a purpose. I mean, anybody can go out and hit balls, and we've seen this as, as um, uh, teacher professionals and coaches over the years, uh, Rick, you and I, where it's just a rake and hit, rake and hit, and they don't really put any, <laughs> any purpose into it. And, and yeah, we, we, that's a whole show in itself. But anyways, um, I don't want to get too far in the weeds. But So you want to be able to have um, something. And, and if there is going to be a training involved, a uh, training aid, excuse me, you want to make sure – that it's emphasizing the key areas that you want your student to work on. And I really, I, and again, I'm excited to get out and, and, and play with it more, but um, I, I'm really excited about a lot of the applications that this product can, can do and, and the areas of the game, which brings me to, um, Dylan, I want to come back to you, is um, how has this been received by others besides uh, Rick, um, other golf coaches that you've had a, a chance to expose it to? What has been some of their feedback? Yeah, it's, it was definitely one of the scariest parts for me because, I mean, I, Rick had been telling me how cool it was for a long time and my dad. And, you know, when your family's telling you it's cool, it makes you feel good. But when you got to actually show people, it's a little bit more scary. And um, when we first were showing it to different coaches, the feedback I was getting back, it was really good. And it's been great so far that we've been doing it. We're actually sponsors of the SCPGA now, which has been really, really helpful. So we worked at an event in the desert about a month and a half ago where we were showing it to every single coach that walked up. And the feedback has just really been amazing. And all the coaches really like the aspect of when you have the type of player, just like you guys were just talking about, how when they just need to repeat something on the range. They, it's Whether it's something that will actually be – just as long as it's positive to their game. Because as you guys were saying, when people are just sitting out there bashing balls, that doesn't always <laughs> help the game as well as it should be. And, and the coaches really like how when they're not there to give the lesson, right. or after the lesson, they, the player can just practice whatever the coach assigns to them. So it's just a tool for the coaches. It's not supposed to compete with the coach. It helps the coach. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, you know, again, just to pick up on what Rick was talking about earlier, you know, you can't be with that student 24-7, and you want to make sure that they've got something um, that is going to help them because a lot of times, unfortunately, if they don't have that reinforcement and they go away and, you know, until the next week or do whatever it happens to be, um, then they're not likely to, to get excited about going out practicing because, or they forget the drill or they're not, you know, they don't have those aids that the coach is, is using there on site. Um, so now all of a sudden they're, okay, what did Rick say? And, you know, they're trying to second yeah. guess themselves and then they end up, you know, Rick and you can attest to this. They end up doing nothing or very little 
um, to really work on that. And then you're spending the next session together uh, sort of going over the last session, uh, you know, over some of the key points. Um, and it just becomes redundant. So I, I think this is great uh, how, how this has been approached. So, Dylan, let me also follow up with you a little bit. Um, you guys have uh, also um, started developing and reaching out to other PGA golf coaches, I mentioned, and uh, re- talk about your recent partnership with the Proponent Group. Yeah, it, it was really exciting. I, I When my dad and I, when we were working that out, and Rick, uh, Rick has played a huge part in that because he's going to be the keynote speaker at the event next month, or at the end of this month, he, he really – um, got me excited when I learned about exactly what the proponent group was. Cause I mean, I, I'm just a college golfer. I didn't know much about it and learning about it. I mean, all, to be able to work with all these coaches, go to Florida and have all these amazing people basically to, to speak highly about the product. It, it's been such an amazing experience and, and I'm excited to go to this event and see what they say and have Rick speak on behalf of us. And it, it's been really, really exciting to partner with the proponent group. And I'm going to come back to you uh, talking uh, about your dad a little bit in a moment, but I want to to go to Rick, and I want him to sort of lay the groundwork. Um, Rick, tell us a little bit about Flowcode Golf Academy. How was that founded, and what was sort of the the process, the thinking process behind that? No, no, thanks for for asking about that. Um, I've been passionate about the mental game since uh, I was a D1 golfer 30 years ago and had some let's just call it frustration issues on the golf course. Um, and uh, <laughs> that may have gotten in the way, may have gotten in the way of some performance. Right. Um, but I, you know, is that as a coach, you, you become a golf swing instructor, you see some success, but you don't always see that translate to the score. And I saw too much of that with uh, the players I was coaching. And I said, there's gotta be a different reason that they're not performing how they want to uh, when they go on the golf course. And so very long story short, I went really down the rabbit hole of the mental game, went back, got my doctorate in applied sports psychology, wrote a book, and in the last four years, uh, co-founded uh, Flow Code, which is an online platform that has uh, framework strategies and tools and techniques to take somebody from a, a fear state, which sometimes we feel on the golf course, stress, anxiety, that fear, and, and then that affects our, uh, our focus, our confidence, and those things, to a flow state. Flow is a researched State, uh, brainwave activity goes down, we're calm, we're confident, we're in control, play our best golf, and we enjoy the game. So extremely passionate about bringing mental game strategies to all level of players, um, helping them focus better, having them have confidence, having them have emotional resiliency. Um, and, yeah, it's just a big part uh, of what I do with my coaching. And, you know, yeah, I, Dylan and I have worked uh, years and years on swing, but we've also worked on course management and how to take – that range game to the golf course. And so when you have a great training aid that you can work on your mechanics, but you can also bring the mental mentality of focus and intention and moving those together, you're going to, you're going to be the best player you can be. Well said. Um, And and how did you sort of incorporate, obviously you obviously believe in this product a lot and, and rightly so. How did you start to sort of roll out or incorporate that into your golf academy? Because obviously you've had access to a number of different aids out there, but, and you, you mentioned a couple of really key points at why this is such a great product. But how did you sort of introduce that to your clients, and what was some of their feedback um, once they got a chance to, to use it? Well, I think, to be honest with you, my, my full swing clients have seen me hold sticks in certain spots and put – 
certain things in certain areas. So they were used to drills already for me. They were used to having reference points already. So bringing the Kahlua Pro there, it wasn't a big change other than going, wow, you don't have to hold it there anymore. And you can now go watch me right. from the other angle and video. I mean, and so the simplicity of it was very important. And they could right away think about, oh, okay, I can see how I could use that, right? So a, a coach will utilize um, these drills and these um, sometimes to exaggerate something, sometimes to point something out, but having that both visual representation, um, but also the kinesthetic feel, right? I mean, when, when Dylan was trying to hold that head there, he could feel it, but he also could see it. He could sense it. And I think that's a key part of, again, making every rep count in a, in a um, lesson and then also in practice. So the feedback's been great because I want to, again, emphasize the simplicity and the amount of uh, variability that you can utilize in one product I, I really haven't seen before. And, and yeah, the versatility is incredible. And also, too, I think what, what bears well for this, um, uh, the Kabuto Pro, is that even when you're not able to go up to the range, it's, it, it certainly is, it can, is compact. And even when it's, it's extended fully in, in all of its components, um, it's small enough that if you wanted to work, let's say, in your backyard, I'm not saying suggesting hitting balls, but if you're looking for that feedback, even if for some reason you can't make it to, to the driving range on any particular day, you can still work on some of the, the areas that need be uh, with this product right from, from uh, the comfort of your own home. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Rick? Exactly. I mean, I remember seeing all these social media posts of people like in air, airports and restaurants working on their golf swing, right? We're obsessed with the game, right? So if we right. can have that tool and we're, we're in front of a mirror and we have the Kavua Pro there and we're in the backyard, and we're, like you said, we don't have to hit a golf ball, but sometimes slow motion uh, practice is fantastic. And when you have that tool that you can now do slow motion stuff at home, bring it on the range, and then you progress um, the challenge, we call progress the challenge within the practice, it's a great way to go from changing a pattern completely, right? Sometimes in golf, we have to make some big changes. But if we can do it at home, baby steps, and then work your way up to the range, do it at full speed on the range, um, it's just it's a great way to get that learning to really stick as we go. Yeah, and, and I like the fact, uh, again, and I'm, there's a reason I'm emphasizing this a lot is is the communication between you know coach instructor um, that's great when you're there together face to face or even on a Zoom call, but when when you you know Rick or or somebody else is not there, um, sometimes it's challenging for the students to you know recall what they need to work on, and so this is a a, a product that allows them to work through a lot of different processes that, um, you know, otherwise they may not be able to, and they don't necessarily have to have you in the same room, um, which is nice. So they can continue on that, that instruction or, or working on those drills, whatever the case may be, um, without you having to be there. And that's, that's something that a lot of uh, products really don't offer. I mean, you can certainly use other training aids, uh, but this is, is uh, very simplistic to set up and, and very easy to use. So it's the uh, um, a really well versatile uh, product, um, Dylan. I'm going to come back to you. As I mentioned, I want to talk a little bit about your dad. Uh, he's also part of the business. Talk about that, and what are you guys doing together to reach more golfers? 
Yeah, my dad is, is my best friend. Um, he has been so much help in this entire experience. I mean, when I first created the product, I, I, it was, like I said before, it was really just me trying to get better. And, and it was just for me and Rick. The only people who knew what it was supposed to do, what it was even doing, was me and Rick because we were working on my swing. As most golfers are, we're just, I was just worried about what my game was doing. And it was actually my dad's idea because he's the original entrepreneur in the family. Um, I come from a long line between my grandpa, who he started his own business, and my dad, he started his own business when he was 13. When he thought that it was a cool idea, he always told me growing up that if I had a cool idea, whatever it might be, that he would help me with it. And when he, he had his background in all of his entrepreneurial um, uh, adventures and everything, he's told me about it all throughout his life. He then went into um, finance, where he now works in private wealth management for Rockefeller Capital. And he knows all the money side of it, and I didn't know any part right. of that. All I knew was the creative side of it. So working with my dad has been honestly the, one of the best experiences that I could ever ask for, and his background has been so helpful. And the way that he's helping me reach golfers is he's teaching me marketing 101. I mean, I actually um, – I'm, I have a minor in business, but I'm, I major in political science. I, I major in psychology, and I double minor in political science and business. So <laughs> – my dad, he's been my business guru. He's, he's been teaching me um, all about marketing funnels and how to run the social media. And he's been learning through it as well because back when he did it back in the 1800s, it was a little bit different. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've been learning together. And uh, it's been an amazing experience. And we're reaching golfers through coaches, online, through social media. I've been reaching them through – I actually have a lot of friends who I play college golf with. And um, through NIL has been a really cool deal because I actually am one of the first people I, I go to play for Chapman University and I sign myself under NIL to my own company. So I'm the first person to ever do that here, which is really cool. And my friends who play at other schools, I've been working with them to make them affiliates as well. So because of just my background and Rick's background and my dad's, we've kind of reached golfers through all avenues possible. Well, and you, you all obviously all complement one another. Um, you each bring a, a different skill set to the table. And, um, you know, all great ideas um, can only come off the ground if you have a good support system around. And I'm, I'm not too sure how your – I think your dad may be looking for a little bit more edge um, now that you've um, put him in the 1800s, but we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But, um, but he, he, may, he may be looking for a bigger stake, and, and being a numbers guy, he knows, I'm sure, how to work those numbers well. So, um, But, you know, it, it's important, you know <laughs> – I hate to ask his age because I'm probably going to be in there with him. So, um, but anyways, all kidding aside, um, but, but that's good. I mean, it, it, I think it's important. You know, one of the things, you know, Rick, as, as a, as a fellow, uh, you know, golf professional, we always want our students to feel um, that they're moving uh, in, in a forward motion, meaning that, you know, that they're not sort of plateauing. And one of the things, unfortunately, and, and, if we're being honest here in our business, sometimes, um, you know, we experience stagnation in as an industry, we get to a point where, um, you know, we, we've looked at the handicaps over the years and, you know, in some cases they have not been moving as much as they could be. Um, so it's always good with new talent, you know, fresh ideas coming in like, like uh, somebody like Dylan who comes in with something saying, Hey, um, I, I think I've got an idea here that's going to make it a little bit easier for you to understand and to be able to emulate certain movements in the golf swing uh, with a little bit more success. And then as a coach, from your perspective and other coaches that are, that are um, moving forward, they're getting involved, 
you can get excited and get behind this as well because, again, the other alternative is for you to hold the stick up all the time. This is a great training aid that you can put in their hands and help them and guide them into the proper positions uh, and give them good feedback for when you're not there. So it, it's really a win-win for everybody in the, in the picture here. And uh, uh, kudos, uh, Dylan, to your father for really being there to support you because it is challenging. And, Rick, you can attest this. This industry it can be very challenging coming out with new products because everybody's got something to, to, to show and produce. Um, and you've got to have the right approach to it. And, uh, I, again, kudos to your dad for, for really standing behind on this. So where do you see things, Dylan, moving forward from here? Obviously, you want to get the word out in that. What are some of the other things that you guys are doing to really uh, make uh, put Kavu on the map? Yeah, I mean, we always say how we want Kavu to go as far as you can, and, and we want it to be a great company. And our plan long-term is we're, we're working at each of the events. I mean, we're working at the SoCal, uh, Co- the SoCal uh, PGA Coaches Summit uh, in, a week, in a week and a half, I believe. And then we're going to be working at the proponent group. We're going to be working that event. And we're also working the PGA show coming up in January. So besides just the shows, we really want to continue doing the social media. And, and we want to make sure that, you know, I want – it's my goal for golfers from – whether they're little kids or they're older guys who are just starting to play, I want everyone to use our product because it really is something that everyone can use. Whether you're, I mean, it goes from 15 inches to 65 inches. It moves side to side, up and down, however you might need it. So no matter if you're a college golfer like me or you're just starting out to play, I mean, everyone needs to practice the fundamentals of swing plane, head movement, hip sliding, everything. So, I mean, in long term, I would love for the Kavua Pro to be in Roger Dunn and, and be in Dick's Sporting Goods, and we're going to go the retail route, and we're actually just working. Um, we have two two pro shops that we just joined uh, with Arcus Golf that we're going in. And, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. starting off slowly, but it's, it's starting to move up a lot. And with Rick's help and, and our board of directors and just everything that my dad and I have been building over the last couple of years, it's, it's really cool to see what it's been doing, and, and I want it to go as far as possible. <laughs> I'm really excited. Well, I can I can obviously hear it, and that's Rick. That's the fun, you know, of of, of a product like Kavua Pro is is you know when when the you know developer and the the owner is excited and passionate about that, and you obviously hear it in their voice. Um, you know that makes it fun for somebody like yourself to come in on the project as well and be involved in in uh, you know in in uh, you know capacities as well. I want you, if you wouldn't mind, Rick, how many different um, drills and positions uh, again we're going to lead them to the website so they can see but how many are there that potentially i mean there, there was a lot i was I, i'll be honest when i first saw the product I, I you know i looked at it and i thought okay and i didn't really do a deep dive at that point and i thought okay yeah, i can see this and this is going to do a few things here and there but when i went on the website and saw how many different applications i was actually blown away um so walk us through Thank a few you. of them uh if you wouldn't mind you will and Dylan may have to help me because it probably increased by two today. <laughs> but um, it's it, it's one of those things where it, it, the simplicity. Let's let's even though we're talking about versatility, the simplicity of it is what I believe will make it uh, a game changer. We have all this other technology and these really cool things that instructors we can tap into with 3D and force plates and all this really cool stuff. But nobody's got twenty five thousand dollars for force plates and. It's the simplicity of fundamentals, right? It's the simplicity of if we can master some of the body motions, if we can understand where the club's supposed to be. 
And so I don't have a direct answer for you because I think it keeps growing because once you start using it, you may have an issue that Dylan and I haven't thought about yet. And you go, well, well, I'll just yeah. twist this here and lift this here. And, oh, my gosh, that's the perfect what I need. Um, I, I think the other part that is ingenious on Dylan's part is it started off as a swing training aid, right? We're looking at head motion. We then went into the plane. And then it becomes a chipping. And then it becomes putting. And then it be, I mean, because having that framework in front of you and putting the, the sticks and putting the things in certain areas can help all aspects of it. And so I, I know mm-hmm. I'm excited. And I've told I've, I've told Dylan and his father, I said, we're going to have to have a competition. Who can come up with the most creative way to use a Kavua Pro? Because I think there's <laughs> going to be some great feedback from from those golfers, from those um, you know, PGA instructors that go, hey, have you guys thought about this? And we'll go, great, bring it on. So, um, I mean, we're probably, I don't know, Dylan, well into probably close to 20, I would think, huh? Yeah, I mean, so we have our eight cores that, that we really stick with that help a lot of the main problems. And then, I mean, I would I would say we're probably at about 15 or 20 or so. And every time I see Rick, when I, I because I, I live in Orange County and Rick is living back in L.A. and he's always traveling and everything, whenever me and Rick get together, we always come up with a few more and a few more. So um, it's always changing. And, and like Rick said, we definitely want to do that competition so that other people can come up with their own versions. Because even when we were showing coaches at the last event we worked, Someone said, oh, I, I could set it up like this for this player, and I could set it up like that. And I just said, yes, of course you can. Of course you can because they're right. I mean, it, it really is it's such a simple idea, but because it can move around in all these different ways and props to – I mean, Rick was a huge part in that, and my dad was as well, and, our, and the engineers and everything on how to make it as versatile as possible. And, and yeah, it's really exciting. I, yeah, I mean, I guess the clear answer would be probably 15 or 20, but, yeah, it, it's always moving up. Yeah, and obviously, as you pointed out, Dylan, there's obviously the core uh, group that uh, com- I guess the more common would be maybe a better word uh, of, of um, situations that most golfers struggle with, whether, um, you know, whether it's, it's um, you know, from everything from their putting. Uh, obviously, you can see here, you know, swing plane, you know, uh, their chipping, that sort of thing. Obviously, head movement, as, as you guys talked about earlier. Um, over the top is another company. So there's a lot of different applications already. Um, you know, you mentioned the hip hip sliding and that. What I like about this as well, and and again, kudos to uh, to everybody involved. Um, and, and again, when we give the information here in just a little bit, one of the problems that I've always seen with any product that comes out is very long uh, videos. Um, you guys did a great job in putting together very short, um, straightforward videos that get right to the point, show what it does, why it does it, and obviously demonstration. And that's it, because as you guys can both attest to, attention spans are not what they used to be. People don't want to sit in front of a five- or ten-minute video. So all of these points, and as you mentioned, more and more are going to come uh, as you guys keep thinking it more. Uh, you did very um, um, short to the point videos to get that point across. Was that done intentional, Dylan and Rick, or was that just by design? I think it, it was done intentional because we had different versions. Because talking, I mean, because Rick has so much more experience in this than I do when it comes to all the commercials and everything and how to do it. 
And, um, yeah, it was funny. The day of that photo shoot that's on our website, I was planning on doing, like, because I see our, some of the other competitor products where they're, they're five, ten-minute videos and they're this whole thing. And I was like, all right, Rick, we're going to do this, this, this. And he's like, whoa, 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 buddy. Like, let's go one at a time. Let's get it let's quick. Let's do it quick, easy. He reminded me that I'm Generation Z and I'm 20 years old and I don't have the attention span to watch for 10 minutes. So we did, um, we right. did the short video and it's, it's been really good feedback so far. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely a little bit intentional, but I'll let Rick speak on it as well. <laughs> sure. Yeah, Rick, I, I think, you know, as a coach, you know, I have been doing this a long time. We want to identify a, let's call it a problem, but identify what we want to change. And we want to, you know, give a, this is how we're going to change it. And we need to say it in as clear and concise way as possible and then be able to provide, again, solutions. And nobody wants to hear me talk for seven minutes on proper takeaway. Why don't I just show somebody, put them in the Kavua Pro and say, do this? And they go, oh, I get it now. So the simplicity of instruction and communication also is part of what a coach's job is. And you're right. People's attention span. They just tell me how to fix it right now. Let's go. And, and that's, that's part of what those, those videos were about is we identify a flaw, here's the fix, here's how to use Kavua Pro, go. And uh, I think people appreciate that they can now stay focused on just one thing at a time and understand how to use it. Yeah, and, and uh, you raise a great point. Uh, again, you know, it would have been very easy to string all of these together into one video. But then the other issue you run into, as you said, uh, if somebody has an issue with over the top, now they've got to skim through a five or, or plus minute video to find the, the section they're most interested in. Whereas now they can go on the website um, as they, you know, once they've purchased the uh, Kavua Pro, and if they say, okay, I want to work on this area or that area, they can go right to that little clip and and see exactly what they need to do and how to set it up um, without having to go through a long process. Because again. You want to turn people off. That's the quickest way to do it is by having a lengthy video that they've now got to sift through for the next five to ten minutes. So I think that was very smart in laying it out and defining it specifically for each category. And, again, more will be added. That's okay as long as they're kept in this format. And I think you guys did a great job and and, uh, and, and also the young lady that's in the video as well and some of the videos uh, did a great job in, in her part as well. So I think that was very smart for you guys um, to, to do it in that format. Um, let's talk about cost and how much does the Kavua Pro cost? Uh, where is it currently available? Simply available on the website for now. Uh, you mentioned about some uh, some other uh, retail that you're working on. Where is it currently available and how much is it? It is currently available at KavuaGolf.com and it retails for $129.95. And, uh, yeah, you can just go to the website and purchase it there. We're working. We're actually going to be on Amazon pretty soon as well that we're going to be working to be on there. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it's compared to other products, it has a pretty good cost. And because and the only reason I'm speaking on behalf of that is because me being a golfer, I, I mean, you can look at my closet right now. I have a lot of training aids that I've gotten over the years. And um, a lot of the cost, it, it varies. And I'm really happy with the price point that we're at because it's, it's affordable for people. And, and I'm really excited. And just go to KabooaGolf.com and go to all of our social medias at KabooaGolf. Perfect. And, and Rick, let me just follow up with you on that. Um, because obviously that, as a coach, that's important to you to have a, a you know, a pointed well in, in, a, in a pricing standpoint because 
you know, not saying that you're going to be standing on the rage selling them, but, you know, if you're introducing somebody to an, an aid like this and if it's extremely expensive, that's going to be a turnoff. So this is, it's actually, very, again, kudos, Dylan, to you and your group. Um, it's very well, uh, the, the price point is, is, is well within a reasonable, uh, more than reasonable amount for what it does. Um, but, Rick, you, you know as a coach, when you're showing and, and, and utilizing these different training aids and somebody wants to partake in that, that price point has to be a reasonable amount in order for people to buy into it, right? Correct. I mean, it's about value, right? People are going to spend right. money if they see value. And we this is an extremely valuable, if we want to use it, uh, product <laughs> because – the amount of things you can do with it and the simplicity and you can use it on the home and then the range and, and you see some other, again, very, very good training aids that maybe only do one thing. And those are already 80, 90, hundred dollars and sometimes more. Um, and now you have a product that is, um, that, that does many, many things to, to what you need for as a golfer. So I think that's the thing is the value of it. It's, and it's so well made and they've done, uh, Dylan and, and, and the team have done such a great job of the engineering part of it and the quality of the, the product, too, is you can stand by and go, okay, this will take a little of abuse, too, because we're not going to say golfer is going to start striping it, but uh, you know, it, and so it's going to hold up. And, and uh, again, they've done a great job with packaging and a great job, as you mentioned, with the videos is that people know how to use it very, very quickly also. Yeah, and Dylan, let me come back to you real quick uh, about that. You know, you obviously were uh, a, a pretty good player before you got into this uh, line of things and, and developing this product. Um, what has it done for you personally? How have you seen your game really change uh, since you started working with your own product? It's it's really cool because when I look back on my swings before I even made the very first version of it, it's definitely different because like I said before, I, I was originally coming from hockey. I played it most of my life and I had a lot of um, injuries and uh, since you haven't met me in person yet, I'm five foot six, but I'm not the biggest kid. So I definitely got a lot of injuries in hockey. And um, when I was coming and dipping into my swing a lot and I look back on these old videos and me using the product and, and having it, on the side of my head and, and helping me with my extension through the ball. And, and also when I started coming over the top and like every golfer who plays, I mean, I, I play, I'd say five to six days a week, you hit so many balls that you develop habits without even realizing it. So it's been really cool working with my own device on the range and people will walk up and say, what is that? And I say, Oh, it's the Kaboom Pro. It's pretty cool. You should check it out. And, and I don't say that I, that I'm, the, that I'm the owner of the company because I don't want them to know it, but it, it's really cool to be working with my own product and, and it's helped my game out a ton. And I've actually been working, uh, my teammates as well at Chapman university, they have them as well. And, and everyone who's been using it has been really, really nice about the feedback and they say that it helps them. And I, it's, it's been a really cool thing to be able to say that I, my product helps golfers, you know? I, I couldn't agree more. And, 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 Rick, just some final thoughts on that as, as you continue to obviously incorporate this in, in your golf academies. Um, you've obviously had a lot of feedback yourself, um, and you're continuing to help develop it to, to be able to utilize it with many other options um, and, and other uh, things that area in the game. What are some of the most common, um, I guess, fixes with this that you've come across? 
what have been some of the, the most common ones that you're seeing the most of that is that the Kavuo Pro has, has been able to isolate for, for uh, from you as a coach uh, and your students? What are some of the most common of, of the group of, of um, flexibility that it has? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, we're looking at two, uh, let's say, faults right now. We're looking at how a body moves, and then we're looking at how the club moves. And, of course, one is related to the other. Um, and so I think with the Kavua Pro, the body motion is the stuff as a coach I look at first. How is that body moving in space? Is it moving too laterally? Can somebody rotate? And that's, again, how it's all started, right? We had a head motion uh, that Dylan had did create some low point issues of, of quality of contact. We addressed that. We also had hip uh, where the hips weren't rotating as cleanly as I would like. And that happens with a lot of players. So if we can help somebody rotate better, stay more centered, that is really kind of at the, literally the core of the golf swing. So those are the, those are the first ones for sure. And then um, Dylan mentioned a lot of like over the top is, is that we have players that the, the club and the shaft is now going, we'll call it over the top of the plane, which leads to pulls and pull cuts and slices that a lot of golfers do. Now, if I can have an awareness of what the club's doing in space on this tilted circle, then I'm going to have a much better understanding of delivering the club where it needs to be. So those would be the big ones as we look at body motion, and then we look at where the club's moving in space, and this addresses both of them. There's, of course, you know, little things and other little faults that we occur, but if we can get somebody's body moving, it's fairly centered, rotate real well, the club moving on a, a neutral uh, plane, we're probably going to hit a pretty good golf shot. I couldn't agree more. And, and obviously from a uh, uh, mental side of the game, um, obviously as your physical side starts to develop and becomes more, you become more confident, that's obviously bo- going to bode well for, for the, the mind game as well, right, Rick? hundred percent. And I think the other thing that we – we focus so much on with Kavua Pro is this idea of practice with intention. I have a goal for my practice session. I know how to get better today. I'm going to do the reps with the Kavua Pro, and you will see the positive impact, and then you're going to be more confident. When you're more confident, now you're going to have more fun. And, and back to the mental side of learning, we want somebody to be in a learning mindset, and that is about being creative and about being kind of childlike and figuring things out instead of so often we get so frustrated on, on the range. We get very judgmental, but now we're giving people a plan. They can work towards that. They know what to work on, and that helps them have confidence, even though, if, if, you know, even though it's going to be sometimes baby steps, sometimes there will be huge steps forward. They're moving in the right direction. So we're, we're going to be more focused better intention with practice, the confidence is going to go up. And as Dylan says, is, you know, we want to help as many golfers as possible play better, but really the byproduct is enjoy the game more and enjoy it and be out there with friends and want to play more. And, and that's, I think, at the, the, the core of what we're at with Kabua Pro. Yeah, and, and, and just, again, to sort of emphasize that point, you know, golfers today want to have fun. You know, not everybody's going to make it out to the PGA or the LPGA Tour or whatever the case may be. Um, they just want to go out and have fun. They want to show up their buddies. They want to go out there and, uh, you know, uh, not embarrass themselves, um, uh, you know, certainly too much. And if, if something's out there that can help um, get them on the right track, then I think it, it's something that they need to, at the very least, investigate. And, Dylan, my final question for you, because it's, it piqued my curiosity when I first heard the, the name. What is, how did you come up with the name Kavua? Does it mean something? Is it a word for something? Uh, how did you come up with that name? 
Yeah, so it's actually a really funny story. So when we were first coming up, coming up with the name, um, the original name that I wanted was Swing Stable. That, that was like, I was so set on it and everything. And at the time, my naiveness, I was like, okay, dad, this is a name. And he said, okay, well, let's see if we can trademark it. And I was like, what do you mean trademark it? So then we had to learn what a trademark was and what a patent was and all these things. Right. And when we tried to trademark that name, um, we weren't able to do it because it was too generic. So then I was frustrated, and that around that time, it was my freshman year of, of college, and, and my family, so we're Jewish, and um, I grew up going to Hebrew school, and I speak Hebrew and all these things, and um, we were going to a holiday, and I was studying, actually, for a Hebrew test at the time, and as a joke, I, I looked up, I was talking to my dad, and I said, well, we keep liking the word stable, 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 let's look up what that means in Hebrew, and it ended up being kavua. So we really liked how it had the personal wow. feel to, uh, you know, our, our family and everything that we stand for. And, you know, I, I, I'm really proud of the name and, and when we tell people what it means. And, and it's, it's been a really cool experience for people who do speak Hebrew and, and they say, oh, my God, it's, it's cool. Are you guys are Jewish. And we say, yes, we are. And it's, it's been a really, really amazing thing to represent, you know, uh, my people and, and being Jewish. And, yeah, it's been awesome. What a great backstory uh, to a fantastic product. I love that. I, you know, I knew it had to mean something. I just, obviously, I'm not Jewish, so I didn't know what it meant. But uh, I was just curious uh, when I was thinking, I was trying to think, okay, I was looking at your name, and I was looking at thinking, okay, maybe it's an abbreviation <laughs> of something, and I'm looking and trying to figure it out. And I knew, I knew it wasn't Sessinghouse, so I knew uh, that wasn't in the mix, but uh, I was looking at it. So I knew it had to have a special meaning. But, um, well, well, guys, listen, I want to thank both of you for coming on. And, and Dylan, if you want to give the website again and, and let the folks know the best way to, to go ahead and, and get themselves uh, a Kavua Pro, how they can go about doing that. Thank you so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. And for anyone listening, um, if you want to buy the Kavua Pro, go to KavuaGolf.com and follow all of our socials at Kavua Golf on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, everything. And uh, give Rick a follow as well at FlowCodeGolf. And we're doing a lot of things coming up, and it's really exciting. And thank you so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Not a problem. I I appreciate it, and uh, I still think you're going to have to. You're going to owe your dad big for tonight, but uh, we'll, I'll leave that between the two of you. And uh, this is recorded. This is recorded, by the way. So uh, uh, if your dad's looking for any uh, any proof to back it up, uh, I can I can certainly provide him with a copy. But uh, I want to thank both of you for coming on. All, again, all kidding aside, and. And Rick, thanks for, for all that you do, um, not just uh, obviously with Dylan for Kavua Golf, but uh, uh, your organization, Flow Code Golf Academy. And, and uh, again, if you want to quickly just uh, let the folks know the best way to reach out to you and if they want to work with you, how they can do that. Wonderful. Thanks so much uh, for, for the time. Very excited about this project. So, yeah, Flow Code uh, Golf Academy, flowcode.golf. Flowcode.golf is the website. You can follow me on uh, all the social, Rick Seth, at Rex Sessinghouse, um, and again, the passion for the mental game, the passion for improving players' uh, performance, and use, using something like Kavua Pro to help people play better and enjoy it, and that's what our passion's about. So thank you so much for having us on. Not a problem. And is your book, uh, Golf, The Ultimate Mind Game, is that still available, and if so, where? Yes, uh, thank you. Um, Golf, The Ultimate Mind Game, uh, it's on Amazon, on a lot of other uh, type of bookstores and uh, you check that out and got a new book uh, be out next year. So we'll talk about that another time, right? <laughs> Will you let me, yeah, you let me know when that's, uh, when that's cooking yeah. and uh, I'll have you back on. You can, you can plug the, the, the book, but 
Um, Dylan and Rick, thank you very much for, for coming on tonight and and, uh, and sharing with the audience uh, about Kavua Golf and, and particularly uh, Kavua Pro. And I really appreciate you sharing that with uh, with our audience. And I'm looking forward to getting out and working with my Kavua Pro and, and uh, see if I can uh, get my game back up to snuff. I haven't played in a little while, so I need to, I need to work out some kinks and bugs of my own. So I'm certainly going to use your product to do that. But uh, great job, guys, uh, and, and uh, particularly, Dylan, congratulations on coming up with a, a really – fantastic product and i mean that and uh, i look forward to having you guys back on and i'll see you guys down at the pga show in january amazing thank you so much much. i really really appreciate it have a great evening and thanks guys all right that was a very special guest this evening uh dylan horowitz um and dr rick sessinghouse um Dylan, of course, is the co-founder and director of kavua golf and particularly the kavua pro which is the product and um, also uh, Dr. Rick Sessinghouse, uh, uh, peak performance coach and author of Golf, the Ultimate Mind Game, uh, which is available at Amazon.com and many other, uh, where many other books are located, so you can check that out as well. And uh, you can go to uh, both of their uh, websites as well as mention. And uh, that's it. So I appreciate everybody. Uh, again, a special thanks to Jim Endicott and Sue Weger for joining on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, earlier this evening, and again to my special guest for joining me this evening. Uh, on that note, um, I will see you next week with another uh, great discussion on Coach's Corner and another uh, special, insightful uh, guest interview. Hope you'll join me. God bless everybody, and we'll see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's Coach's Corner panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.